quiet your mind. Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But three brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. Welcome to Dawn of Mantis. True crime, mysteries, and more. Did I get that right, Sam? You did. All right, Sam, how are you? I am fantastic. And I don't know if you guys realize this. Oh. But we are one year to the day. Oh. Well, I don't know if it's the exact day, but we are one year celebrating me joining this podcast. It's our sam anniversary. <laughs> it is the sam anniversary Fred Beard anniversary. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that works too. So, you know what? I was at the local big box buy in bulk club that shares the same name as I do. Wait, the your other name, day. Your name's Costco? Yes. Is that your middle name? <laughs> yes. Same Costco? And I just walked into the store and to my right, I see it a light shining down from heaven on this huge pallet. And I brought something for you to celebrate this occasion. Let's crack open a nice, cold, Canada dry. Ivan, I got you some cranberry. Joe, I got you the blackberry. We're back in the limited edition winter variety pack. Which it wouldn't hurt our feelings if it was all year, but I get it. We want it to be special. So maybe that's why they don't have it all year. Thank you, kind sir. Oh, it's so cold and it's so beautiful. The sweat of the can is glistening. The art is amazing. Ready? Go. Oh. By the way, Sam, I just looked. Ironically enough, the first episode of Dawn of Mantis from Redbeard Studios Mm -hmm. with Sam Mm -hmm. was November 26, 2020. Mm -hmm. And this episode will air November 26, 2021. On Friday. Holy crapola. So it, it is a, a year to the day, my friend. It's amazing. I've missed you, Blackberry oh, Canada yeah. Dry Ginger Ale. And I bought not one. I bought not two. But I bought three cases oh my God. of this. And Canada Dry, I hope you're listening out there. Yes. Because we deserve a sponsorship. I should not have to be buying this. Send us some coupons. I'll that's, buy it. that's all we want. That's all we've ever wanted. I'll buy it for a discounted price. That's and right. Ivan showed up with the case as well. Ivan, being the sweetheart of a man that he is, <laughs> showed up with another case. So we have four cases of the winter variety packs. Yes. Canada Dry. And that's our favorite. I, yes. I say by the time we're done with these, we should have our small sponsorship with Canada Dry. It will happen. It's a coupon type system. Mm-hmm. It will happen. So let's try this. All you Donna Manis fans, get on your phones and call 1-866-729-2379 or go to canadadry.com and leave them your comments. That is the number that's on this case of Canada Dry Tell them to give Dawn of Mantis podcast a sponsorship. Yeah, some coupons, a sponsorship slash coupons, just we're, something. We're not wanting a green Maserati with the Canada Dry logo on the side. We're being realistic, okay? Yeah, we're just, yeah. I feel like we're not asking for anything that special. No. Two free cases per episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we're asking. That's only like 25 bucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's it cost them, though? I mean, it's a lot oh, way cheaper less than for them. That. Yeah, yeah right. that's true. We want it's only cost. like 10 bucks. Yeah, and we'll mention it every time, we promise. Another Wait, angle. This I was is thinking, free advertising right here. Exactly. Yes, We've been doing it for a long yeah, time. We have. And it's just you would think you would want to sponsor us because we're just doing it because we like it. You know, we're just saying, hey, we like it. We thought we'd throw you a bone because we like it. We thought we'd share. That's right. You know what's funny? And I have to tell you this because it's one of the more funnier things that I've ever said. And that's not a high bar, but there was a guy <laughs> at the show we were all at the other night. Mm-hmm. By the way, I got to go see Shenandoah, best mm-hmm. country band ever. Mm-hmm. Got to meet Marty. It was one of the best nights of my life. There was a man there 
dressed up like a cowboy, very, very skinny man. And he was out dancing with some of the ladies. And he, <laughs> Ivan said, that guy resembles Tom Petty. <laughs> he did and look he, like Tom Petty. He kind of did. And I said, yeah, right now. I know who you're talking about. I said, right now. He looks like Tom Petty right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Which you would have had to been there. But. Uh, we love Tom Petty. Don't get us wrong. But that's a great comment. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> it was great times. Really was. It was great times, and it was all due to you two that that happened for me. I didn't book Shenandoah. No, but you, like, hooked me up, kind of, right? Ivan, so I didn't know that it was, like, exclusive. You had to be, like, a high roller or whatever to get in. To get in. And so I just asked Ivan on a lark. I was like, hey, you know, you know Sam will be up there. Like, come with me. Let's let's go watch him together. And, Sam, and Ivan's like, cool, okay. Well, it turns out that his sister like had a whole table reserved, which is good because I didn't even know. I thought it was just an open show. You just walk in there, but it wouldn't have been. I would have been standing out by the Dukes of Hazard slot machine. We made the joke that we would have taken turns with each other on our shoulders. <laughs> and it'd be like, hey, uh, dibs on two dozen roses. Yeah. And Ivan would have got the short end of that deal, literally, because I'm like eight inches shorter than him. You know, so I would have got the better still, end of the stick. I, I still think I would have been able to see just fine. It would have worked out. <laughs> We're all sweating and stuff. The the servers would come by. Water. Whoa, please, water. Anyway, we could have still heard it, but not as well, right? Not as well. Being in there was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, awesome. Great anyway, show. Thanks, you guys. Yep. Sam had a big part of that. He saved the day, in a way. Eh. Yeah. That's eh. a great job. Actually, you literally did. I mean, you, it wouldn't have been, it would, they wouldn't have been able to. They couldn't have played. They literally said, we couldn't have played without you, Sam. Yeah. Because you and fixed that, their, we're not. This isn't a bit. This no. Is a true story. They were literally having a uh, sound issues, and they, and they were like, I don't think we're going to have a show. And then Sam went up there and did his bada beep, bop, boop, boop, and fixed some stuff. And I'm telling you, that's why you want to come to Red Beard Sound uh, Studio. That's right. That, that's this why. turned into an ad. Yes. That's the expertise. This is a, this is a Grammy Award winning band. Yeah that has played for millions of people and their sound guy had uh, kudos to him, but he couldn't figure this thing out. Sam went up there and sprinkled a little bit of red beard dust on it. Bada bing. We had a show. So red beard sound for all your sound engineering needs. That's right. Sam, do you got any coupons you oh, can give me for saying that guys. just now? Oh, <laughs> uh, so we ready to rock? Yeah. We're, yeah. Let's go. All right. I want to tell thank you, you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Oh, wait, I want to one more, one more hit of my Canada dry for free. So, it's mid-90s, and like little 13, 14-year-old me is in a, uh, it was like a flea market or something. Okay. And I found this album, and I just bought it because it had a, a cool car on the front, and it was called Ammonia, was the band. Okay. Well, it turns out, it's Isn't a great- Isn't bad for you, Ammonia? <laughs> yeah. The music's not. It's okay. a great band. They're out of Australia, and one of the songs on this album was called Ken Carter. Okay. You can look up the video, which we'll we'll play. We're gonna we're gonna close the episode with this song because it's a, a great song. So you will hear it. But I thought he was an Australian stuntman forever. Because I'm just my idiot brain. An Australian band did a song about him. I'm like, we must have been Australian. But then, so I talked to our friend Ken, who literally is from. He lives in Australia. And Not I was like, Carter. Huh? Not Carter. Not no, our other friend. Okay. Not Ken Carter. <laughs> There's lots of Kens Gosh, and Kennys in this. We're story. gonna. You're gonna have to specify again. Can <laughs> the can, Bronco or the guy? Oh, here we go. <laughs> or the Barbie male doll. I'll just say Ken the Alive One. Okay. Is who I talked to. And I was like, yeah, how about that Ken Carter, that crazy Australian uh, stunt driver? And he was like, who? And so I actually looked into it and he was from Canada. Uh-huh. The mad Canadian, hey. Ken Carter. Same place that these ice cold, refreshing Canada dries are from that we're drinking right now. That's right. <sighs> Just took a swig. It is great. So yes, we're doing an episode about Ken Carter, the mad Canadian, one of the greatest stuntmen, perhaps the greatest, to ever live. All right. And it was all from that Ammonia album that I found in that thrift shop or whatever, where, wherever my memory escapes me. All right. Let's see what this one's about. All right. <laughs> I have to. I knew you had to. I had to. All right, Kenneth Gordon Polszczyk was born in Montreal, Quebec in 1938. His family didn't have much money, and he grew up living in a low-cost apartment building in a working-class neighborhood. 
Ken attended Belmont School there until fourth grade, but dropped out of school eventually and found work as a grocery boy when he was 14. But it didn't take Ken long to realize that he was not built for the regular nine-to-five grind. He wanted to do something different. Ken was a thrill seeker from a young age. Even as a small child, he'd climb on top of a storage shed behind his apartment building and leap off into the deep snow during the harsh Canadian winters. Wow. So after just a couple years of bagging groceries, he got a gig as a motorcycle stunt driver in Joey Chitwood's Congress of Canadian Daredevils show. Joey who? Chitwood. Oh, C-H-I-T-W-O-O-D-S. Right. That's cool. Chitwood. Chitwood. It it really does kind of sound like the other, doesn't it? But it does. You should never want a chitwood. <laughs> Get a splinter. Unfortunately, he had to quit after only three weeks when his leg was badly broken during one of these jumps. Huh. Joey Chitwood let him go. But as soon as he was healed up, Ken secured gigs with acts like the International Hell Drivers and the All-American Daredevils and worked alongside guys like Billy Brown, Paul Riddle, and Earl the Squirrel. I bet those nicknames were like name recognition, and, it's, you know, if a director was like, hey, let's get those guys, those, they sound cool, you know? I think so. I bet it was almost like a comedy troupe has a funny name. Yeah. They have like a badass name, you know? On the tales of Joey Chitwood, I wonder if there was a guy named Jimmy Crapcorn. <laughs> Crapcorn. <laughs> oh, well, and I don't, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> But yeah, man, the, the All-American Daredevils, the International Hell Drivers. Yeah, Canadian Daredevils. So yeah, man, I, I get it. Yeah. It was all showbiz and he still <laughs> It's too good. It's is, it also, not, is it not crap corn? <laughs> it's, uh, it's Jimmy Crack Corn. Yeah. I, I don't care. And it's... it's yeah. I know something about that, but it's not even important. Well, no, say, say what do you know about Jimmy Crack Corn? Well, I know. It's so dumb. It's so stupid. Well, that's uh, the podcast for it right here. Because I like to take care of my birds and my yard, you can get cracked corn. And it's kernels of corn that are dried and cracked. It's in a big bag, you know? It's called cracked corn. And first time I ever bought it, I was like, oh, that's where they got that stupid nursery rhyme. I guess Jimmy had to make bird food or something. Jimmy so did it, was, is it literally, are you looking up the origins of that nursery rhyme? What are the origins? Is it about a boy named Jimmy that cracked corn? It says, what is the meaning of Jimmy cracked corn? It was a very old piece of slang for sitting around idly gossiping. Oh, okay. Oh, cracking corn. That's cool. Yeah. Them bitches just cracking corn over there. <laughs> oh, this says, a more likely explanation is that Jimmy cracked open a jug of his late master's corn whiskey and kicked back a bit. Oh, I like that. And he didn't care. Someone didn't, didn't care. care. Either way, nobody cared because the master has gone away and wouldn't be coming back. Quiet your mind. Ken quickly learned all the standard tricks. Crashing into walls, controlled flips, riding on two wheels. But what excited him most were the car jumps. But even that quickly wore off. At that point, guys were pretty much just taking the car off the ground a few feet or enough to clear another two or three or four cars. Ken, however, wanted to go faster and jump farther than anyone else. You ever take it off any sweet jumps? <laughs> oh, he's Sam throwing some Napoleon Dynamite in there. Amazing. I love it. By the late 50s, Ken was rocketing over 60 feet in the air, clearing stacks of cars and lines of buses. He was massively popular at auto shows and races and was becoming a well-known name in the area. That is when Ken decided to branch off and start his own Daredevil stunt show. He also changed his last name to Carter, painted up a couple of buses and a mobile ramp that he hauled on a trailer and painted the words suicide auto jump in huge letters on the side. No Whoa. reason why Carter and like specifically, you know, I've seen interviews with him and he said it just kind of rolled off the tongue better than pulse. Jack. Yeah. Ken Carter. Yeah. And it's funny. He would, he would refer to himself as two people in interviews Ken Polschek was the guy that came up with the ideas and the hype man. And he was a hype man. He was a great hype man. And he would come up with uh, the, you know, he would make the, he would write the checks that Ken Carter's ass would have to cash. And he, he even said in one interview, he, was, you know, he said, sometimes uh, Ken Polschek promises something that Ken Carter has, is a little trepidatious about. You know what I mean? It was, it's weird how he refers. So he was, he was manager and performer. <laughs> yes. Under separate names. Yes. That's how he mm. talked in, in interviews. 
He was a very animated guy, man. He 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 could have been a carnival barker. Yeah. And we'll we'll hear it later because we're gonna listen to some clips. Is that schizophrenic kind of? Is that kind of <laughs> like Andy? Uh... I was thinking that you're you're talking about Andy Kaufman. Yeah, I was thinking that same thing. You son of a dumb. Yeah, uh, the guy that he was, Tony. Uh, oh, Clifton. Yeah, Tony Clifton. He, he would get Tony. into that. I read about that later oh. after that Jim Carrey thing. He would get into that character and stay in it, and pissed everyone off. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, we want to talk to Andy." He's like, "Oh, we can talk to Andy." And he's, <laughs> he would like basically, "You can talk to Andy." Oh yeah, yeah. Tony Clifton. You know, there's been there was uh, his manager, whoever Andy's manager was, would also do Tony Clifton. Because sometimes it'd be uh-huh. Tony Clifton in two spots at the same time. Because wasn't that it was in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he like the manager actually played Tony Clifton. Yeah. Did the public know he was when he referred to the manager? Did the public know he was referring to himself? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was just like explaining, like pretty much there are two sides of me. Okay. You know, there's two uh, sides. Okay, of me. okay. I there's thought this, it was like a. I thought it was like a gimmick. No, no, no. He's like, yeah. There's the business side that that makes the oh, plans okay. and and you know that gets the buses and hires the arenas and all this. And that's Ken Polschick. Mm-hmm. And then Ken Carter has to show up and say, "You want me to jump how many cars?" You know, stuff like that. Oh yeah. Okay. Ken Carter does the jumps. It was just, I gotcha. Yeah, he was just a real sad. Uh, what, was, what would be the proper name? Real dramatic guy. Yeah. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Good self promoter. Uh, all the crazy exploits that he was pulling around there, he became a household name, and he was known as the Mad Canadian. Okay. Ken took his show all around Canada and the U.S., jumping semis, cement trucks, buses, and cars, and he was doing it all in old 50s model lead sleds that <laughs> that's only preparation was knocking out the windshield and welding in a rail cage. There's a really great, I think it was a 63 or 4 Impala, that it, there's a short video. It shows him getting the car ready, which he's just like kicking out the windshield, you know. And they weld in, a, they weld the door shut and stuff because it's a four door. And then he just takes it off at like seventy miles an hour and jumps like twenty cars. And and it just it crashes and it looks like the you know the uh, the Dukes of Hazard car when it lands when the front buckles up. And mm-hmm. He bounces all around. I don't even know if the I don't even know if the guy had a, a damn seatbelt on because he just you see his helmet just bounce around oh the car my gosh. and he gets out. It's just he was crazy, man. He was crazy. You know, somebody like that has constant back and neck pain and like oh for sure like all the time. Like, oh. Well, especially back then. I mean, you know, shocks and. Sp- Springs and sure. suspension wasn't near what it is now in a no. vehicle. No. So. Yeah. And then they have like, in those test dummies now, they have a computer. And then <laughs> it to the decimal point, how many Gs yeah. the occupants of the car took in the crash. And then they make adjustments and stuff. That's why so many new cars get totaled because they're actually made to cave in certain yeah, areas to take true. G-forces away from you. Yeah. Um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's, back, it's, back then it wasn't designed like that. Oh God, no! It's like let this looks cool, <laughs> all steel car. Yeah. yeah, man. So yeah, with with him doing these crazy things in these old cars, you know, you'd expect to get hurt, and he got hurt a lot. He broke ankles, wrists, kneecaps, legs, everything. And almost all the old footage of Ken, he's limping or walking with a cane. He was always on the mend from some sort of injury. It's so funny you brought that up, Ivan, because that's no surprise. Considering that he was doing these crazy car jumps three nights a week, every week. Oh, man. This was his freaking daily thing, man. Yeah. And it was his career. So he he hauled his buses and ramps and cars all over the U.S. and Canada for the next 20 years. It was a remarkable life. He loved every moment of it. And he was making good money to boot. In fact, by the mid-70s, Ken, who was in his late 30s and pretty stove up from decades of injuries at that time, he kind of took more of a managerial position in his own show and began to let up-and-coming stuntmen like Tom Barry and Kenny Powers, who began traveling with Ken around this time, kind of step up and take a little more of the action. Wasn't that the name of the guy in the um, Eastbound and Down? Eastbound and Down, yeah. Was it Kenny Powers? They took it from this, yeah. Okay. (laughs) They took the name from this character. That's cool. My favorite scene from that entire series is like two or three episodes, you're watching it and you think that it's like voice narration and he's like narrating his old life as he's driving around. But then one episode he stops and the tape ejects and 
the whole narration has been him listening to his own like tapes <laughs> that he made, <laughs> like his little like words of wisdom to other people. Oh my god! So it's not it's not narration at all. It's it's, it's his own <laughs> thing he's listening to. That's funny. Yeah, it's awesome. The great series if you never if you ever get a chance to watch it. Yeah, we'll talk more about Kenny too, a lot more here in a little bit. Yeah, but so he had met Kenny Powers uh, when he was in the, the Hell Drivers. That's where Ken and him had met, and Ken kind of became Kenny's mentor, and uh, so they they stuck together whenever Ken left. In early '76, after decades of jumping, Ken decided it was time to go bigger than he had ever went before. So big, in fact, that he'd set a world record. Ken hatched a plan to outfit a car with a jet engine and jump the St. Lawrence River, a distance of a mile. What? A stunt like this was no weekend gig, and Ken set about raising money and planning for the next few years. Does it say it's a Jado? I wonder if that's it. Have engine? you heard it? Yeah, J, uh, jet ascended. It didn't say. Jet assisted takeoff. That's, uh-huh. Isn't that what they did on Mythbusters yeah, yeah. out in the desert? Yeah. Anyway, I bet it is. Well, we can look it up. I don't know. I didn't see it. That's something that, I think if you have money, I think, it, well, back in the day, probably not now, but I think that's something you used to be able to get your hands on. You could buy that system. And it was like it was like a regular plane that needed a certain runway. The military would use it a lot, and then they would add these other engines to actually, if you ever need to take off from a shorter oh, runway. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I do know one thing that with these, I don't know, if, I don't know why it was set up this way, but there was no, like, kill switch on the engine the amount of fuel that you put in was calculated pretty close because they would they needed the fuel to burn out at a certain space yeah and i think the jado is all or nothing i don't think there's any controls that would be it. that's probably what they had then yeah huh. that's uh, <laughs> golly have you seen that mythbusters when they well they did it twice it's the rocket car episode yeah it? it's like one of the first ones yeah. but then they redid it they yeah. redid it later but it's crazy because it's just like going like 80 or or 60. And then when it takes off, you a note is obviously. Yeah. It's crazy. It's and I think they put it on they put it on an impala. It seems like they did. <laughs> it yeah, seems like it I is an so. impala. So maybe it's maybe it's about this. I can't remember. It's been so long. Well, no, he he jumped an impala, but the rocket cars uh he had one or two and neither one of them were impalas. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So anyway, awesome Awesome stuff. So what happened? <laughs> well, it's going to take a while to find out, actually. Okay. Uh, well, it, so he had to, like, raise money because he had to find the spot over the river. He had to build a, a ramp. He had to build a car. He was Ken was looking for sponsors. He needed a shitload of money. Okay. ABC offered him $250,000 with the stipulation that they would air the stunt live on their Wide World of Sports. Remember that? Oh, yeah, I do remember that. And it would air on September 25th, 1976. So that was his new deadline. So this is why he needed so much money. 110,000 yards of dirt is what it took to build this massive ramp on the Canadian side of the river in Morrisburg, Ontario. So the plan was to jump there and land on Ogden Island in New York on the American side. That was the plan. Ken built a jet-powered Barracuda that he hauled on the back of a flatbed Chevy truck to all his Daredevil shows. And, you know, he would fire it up. It would never leave the trailer. But it was an awesome sight just to see the jet flames shooting out of the back of this car. Thing was, though, that car had no chance in hell of making the jump. It wasn't even supposed to. He knew it wasn't. He knew that it was just a promotional gimmick. Okay. To help get more sponsors and more money. Sure. It was a badass looking car. I mean, it's a, a are you looking at it? It's oh, a, no. yeah, it's a Barracuda all painted up badass with these huge rear, rear tires and a jet engine on it. It was cool. Barracuda. Yeah, but it was just promotional. So to build the real rocket car, Ken needed backers and a lot of them. He wanted to raise a quarter million dollars for the jump. So ever the hype man, he did a great job of getting the media and the public interested. Sponsors, however, weren't really taking the bait. However, the ramp and the car were not finished in time for the broadcast deadline, and ABC withdrew its offer and its money. Oh, no. So he was really hard up at this point. Yeah. Ken eventually spent nearly a million dollars on the project and successfully built a canary yellow rocket-powered Lincoln Continental that sported a small wing on either side. It's one of the freaking coolest-looking cars ever. It's so cool. I bet. I'll put a picture of it uh, on the on the internets when we air this. Ken also trained for the stunt, 
driving another rocket car on a drag strip and riding in stunt planes to try to acclimate himself to the G-forces he'd be experiencing. But even after the ramp and car were finished, the stunt was still postponed several times. Evil Knievel famously visited the site while the ramp was being constructed and declared that there was no way Ken was going to be successful. Bad luck also seemed to be following the jet car. Three fuel tanks blew up during testing, and even after the car was operational, it crashed on a test run because its wings actually caused it to achieve lift, and it came off the ground and lost control. Mm. There's video of that, too. And it wasn't Ken driving it at the time. It was a professional, like, funny car driver. And the wings were just kind of for looks? Yeah, but they were just enough, they said at the time, that it caught enough lift that the front tires came up enough to where he couldn't, you know, they weren't making enough contact with the ground to steer, I guess. Yeah, because, you know, like a sprint car, those wings on there are actually to hold it down. Yeah. In fact, if you look at it, it's a flipped over aircraft wing. Oh, that huge S-wing on the back? Yeah, so it's like flat on the top and curved on the bottom. Uh, Aircraft wings curved on the top, so the... Low pressure on the top, high pressure on the bottom. Okay. It's kind of weird if you let air go straight under a wing. You know, we've talked about it before. If air goes straight under a wing, it's like higher pressure. But if it has to go over a hump, it's it's lower pressure and that pulls the whole thing up. That's so weird. So that's crazy. They didn't intend on that. They just did it for looks, but it actually created lift. You're an engineer by accident. <laughs> or you're a nautical engineer. You would think somebody would look at this car and go, you know... I think there's more aerodynamic cars out there. Oh, yeah. A Lincoln has just got a flat nose. A totally flat nose. With those hideaway headlights, square grill. Yeah, and it's a a little heavy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. There there were lighter cars then. I mean, they could have called up Burt Reynolds and said, hey, you know, what'd you do with the Trans Am from Smokey and the Bandit? (laughs) Yeah, that was right there. 76 special edition, right? Is that what it was? Well, didn't Smokey and the Bandit come out in like 77? Yeah, somewhere around there. See, and he didn't do the jump. It it was after this that they did the jump. Smokey and the Bandit had been out for a minute by the time they did the jump. So he could have gotten a Trans Am, that one. (laughs) And that car made quite a few hefty jumps in that movie. Why didn't they get the the General Lee? That car made lots of jumps and it was always fine. Yeah, it was always fine. (laughs) And I think, you know... over when it would jump, it would like pause in the air, mm-hmm. and uh, Waylon Jennings would have said something, and then it would have went to commercial. Looks like old Ken Carter's really got himself in the pickle this time. It's <laughs> like he bit off more than he could chew. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That made that cool. Yeah. Oh, I know. Let's put some stubby little wings on this link, and that'll make it fly. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, they didn't want it. The wings were for looks, but they actually worked. That's funny. That's that's hilarious. Well, the theory was that it would help stabilize the car from twisting it all in the yeah. air. Roll, from looking yeah. at the picture, it Rolling, doesn't yes, make sense. Well, no. Yeah, they, yeah. Ivan, you need to see this car. Well, it's big money. It's like you think you could have hired some kind of aer- aeronautical engineer to say, hey, what's this going to do if we put this here? It's going to cause the car to lift up and you're not going to be able to steer it. Oh, let's rethink that. <laughs> Steering's good. But, you know, I guess they were just, they weren't thinking about that. They were just thinking about while the thing was airborne. Yeah. But then again, it has, to, it has to go up that ramp. Yeah, there's the car, Ivan. Look, sweet as shit. Terrible. Oh, yeah. You're right. It's a terrible car to try to use for that. But, man, it it's was It's funny cool. those little wings created any lift at all. But I guess, uh, so the sentiment in aeronautics is you can make a brick fly if you put enough thrust behind it. So I guess th- it was going so fast that it did, <laughs> that it dis- did cause lift. Yep. It's all about the thrust. That's my motto. <laughs> Especially from behind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second you said the word thrust, Sam and I just... Exchanged oh, it. I, I didn't even know. I thought I thought something else happened. You can't say thrust in here, man. <laughs> yeah, like I said, the thing it did wreck, but it was just minor damage. It just kind of went into the wall and crumpled up the fender, and so it wasn't terrible. See, so yeah, over the next four years, more attempts were scheduled, then canceled, mostly because of mechanical problems. More work was done on the car, and this time it completed several successful test runs. One was over 250 miles an hour. That big yellow square Lincoln went like 255 miles an hour, bro. I'm not (laughs) kidding. It's on video. Amazing. (laughs) Wow. 
Ken wasn't totally happy, though. A test run on the ramp itself had shown it to be way too bumpy for his liking. Because this thing was really going to be smoking ass by the time it got to the top of this ramp. Okay? <laughs> okay. Thrust and smoking ass. <laughs> if you have it's enough another thrust, no you can smoke some ass. <laughs> Do you ever smoke after sex, Austin? I don't know. I never look. Um <laughs> Too many bumps would cause him to lose control. Also, Ken's backers had decided to film the event and air it as a movie. I know, stop. It's okay. <laughs> rather, rather than have a live audience. Ken didn't like that either. He wanted a live audience in, in the stands at, at the site. In secret, he struck a deal with a Hollywood producer giving him the film rights in exchange for a sponsorship. He hadn't been satisfied with the way his previous backers were handling the project. Sadly, though, even these new producers refused to let Ken have his live audience. I think that'd be a cool IMAX movie now. If someone's going to do something like that, you could just film it all in IMAX from the beginning, like be cool. putting it all together. I'd go see that. Yeah, there's a documentary called The Devil at Your Heels. Wow. That really does cover like this whole thing. The whole thing. It's great. Yeah. And I would, I would suggest anybody go watch that. Yeah. I remembered that. Yeah, that's pretty good memory. <laughs> so, yeah. These new producers, they didn't want Ken to have his live audience either, okay? They wanted the jump to be exclusive and totally secret until they released their film. Okay. He reluctantly Must agreed. have been before pay-per-view, because I feel like that would have been what they would have done now. Oh, yeah. That would have been a crazy... It'd be 50 bucks, and I'd be like, hey, does anyone want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch that? And I'd be like, sure, King of the Hill. <laughs> hey. Here's the promotional poster. The propane. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I love the art. The what art's amazing. Witness what? Witness a man jump a country mile. Witness a man jump a country mile. So the day finally came. Jump day. I think he had to have a passport. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. There's, on the way over, there wasn't a, a booth or anything. <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe. So he's gone. Yeah, he'd have to have something. Temporary visa or something. What's funny, he was full of like cool sayings. And I believe one of the things he said was, uh, what was it? I'm going to jump this car so far. I'll need a stewardess or something. Oh, that's funny. I'll be in the air so long. I'll need a stewardess. So the jump, <laughs> the day was set. September 26, 1979. That's it. That's jump day. The weather was perfect. The ramp was done. The car was ready. Everyone took their positions as Ken strapped in the Lincoln and the countdown began. But with just five seconds left, Ken got spooked and aborted the takeoff. Uh-oh. Disappointed, everyone went home. Did he go, there's something on the wing? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a fly. <laughs> I think what it came down to was, there was, you know, there's people in control areas and the car is all, you know, they're communicating with Ken through headsets and all this shit. And some fuel jettisoned or something. It was some little thing, something depressurized, and it freaked Ken out, which it would me too. I mean, I want everything to be perfect if I'm about to try to do this. So that's what it was that time. Ah, uh, he was just being a sissy, I think. <laughs> no. If he canceled it forever, I would never hold it against the guy. Right. Because I think it's a terrible idea. But this is like the fifth or sixth time that he's canceled. See, so yeah, everyone's bummed out. Everyone goes home. The big crowd that had gathered, because word had leaked out, because nothing can stay secret. No. The barge that was there with the crane on the river, the ambulances, the fire trucks, the rescue teams, the production crew, everybody went home. When Ken decided to try the jump again on October 3rd, seven days later, it was obvious that most people didn't take him seriously. No crowd showed up. And instead of a team of firemen and trucks... There was one small truck with a 25-gallon water can operated by a teenage kid. There's video of that, too. It's just well, We've got more Canada Dry in here than that. <laughs> we could shake up all these cans of Canada Dry and put out a fire. That's right. Instead of a barge and a crane the team of res and a team of rescue divers, there were two guys floating on an inflatable raft. Even the camera crew only sent the bare minimum. So I didn't sound like a lot of people had a lot of faith. Well, there's two guys on a raft? That's... Pretty cool. <laughs> That's better than nothing. That's right. The weather wasn't quite as good this day, and it was looking like rain. So Ken needed to attempt the jump early. Everyone waited as he went over final preparations for the jump. Checked the car, talked to the crew, got in the car, harnessed in, double-checked the harness, double-checked the walkie-talkies, 
got out of the car, went back over the procedure, triple-checked the car again. This went on basically all day until it started to rain. With that, Ken canceled the jump again. Oh, no. I bet those two guys on the raft were mad. (laughs) (laughs) I ruined a Saturday for this shit! I had to blow this up with my mouth. (laughs) Her pump was bad. (laughs) This was the last straw for Ken's backers. They decided, without Ken's knowledge, by the way, to have Kenny Powers do the jump instead. Oh, no. Kenny agreed on the spot, and just two days later, he and a small crew met at the ramp. This is where we talk about a very big difference between Kenny Powers and Ken Carter. Because this is all on film, too. This is all in the documentary. Powers wasn't just a daredevil by day. He was the definition of a wild man. He had struggles with substance abuse throughout his whole life. When, it, when people asked, what kind of drugs do you do? He said, yes. <laughs> Jumping cars was more like a natural extension of his already reckless lifestyle that he just happened to get paid for. While Ken Carter sat in a hotel room at the Four Seasons an hour away, completely unaware of what was going on, Kenny lined up the jet car on the ramp. Contrary to Ken, Kenny yelled at the crew the whole time to move their asses and get the stunt ready as quickly as possible. It kind of looked like always save Burt Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that! Dude, it's so funny in the documentary. (laughs) With a big Enos Burdett hat. (laughs) (laughs) We're having a football game, Daddy. (laughs) So Ken drives up, Kenny Powers drives up to the ramp. He's standing up there with the production crew. There he is. Look, he is always saved Burt Reynolds. I didn't think about that. Oh, yeah, he is. He's up there taking a drag off of Marlboro. He's even wearing a yellow shirt. Yeah. All it needs is a red stripe. But they're going over stuff, right? They're like, we're going to make preparations. He's like, hey, man. We're going to do this jump. We're doing it today. We're prepared enough. I'm not going to say no. We're going to do it. And then they say, okay, well, we'll start out with a 20-second countdown. He's like, 20 seconds, my ass. We're doing a five-second countdown. I don't need 20. Let's rock and roll. Woo! That's how he was. Let's light this candle. Totally opposite of. He he just, like, walks around the Lincoln, kicks the tires. He's like, yeah! (laughs) And jumps in. If he worked for NASA before, he'd be like, They'd be like, the rocket's half finished. It's like, let's go to the moon right now. <laughs> we don't need three engines. We only need one. <laughs> he did. He's just like, I just want to get this car in the air. Let's rock and roll. God damn it. That's the, he was just ready. Solid plan. They pull up, do a short countdown. He lights the candle. And within seconds, the big yellow Lincoln fired down the ramp and into the air. However, it turned out that Carter's previous concerns about the track being too bumpy were actually spot on. Uh-oh. As the Lincoln shot up the ramp, the bumps violently shook the car and cracked its fiberglass body. It also made it difficult for Kenny to keep his foot on the pedal, so instead of the intended 280 miles per hour, he was going about 180 when the car went airborne. He only yeah, that's made it less. <laughs> <laughs> Over to our science panel, Ivan, what do you think about that? In my opinion, that's quite a bit less. <laughs> Almost 100 <laughs> less. Back to you, Joe. <laughs> Thanks, Ivan. <laughs> he only made it about 500 feet off the ramp. Because even at that slower speed, the, the cracked fiberglass body shredded off the car like paper. And Kenny Powers, along with what was left of the car, went plummeting to the shallow water on the river's bank. Now, there was chutes on this thing. One opened out of the two. And so he was probably going like 50 when he hit the, when he hit the shore. As the, as the car slammed... Were there two guys in an inflatable boat, or were they not even there? No, they were there. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, they got there pretty quick. Okay. And then their boat ran aground, because, dude, he landed in like eight inches of water or something. It was not much. <laughs> well, I mean, it could have been 20 feet of water, and it still would have just been the bumper in it by the nose of that Lincoln. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> It'd have to be some deep water for that boat to not hit bottom in. Amazingly, Kenny survived with eight vertebrae in his back pretty much shattered as, as well as three ribs broken and a wrist. Now, what's funny is he'd broken his back like seven other times mm-hmm. doing stunts, and he was supposed to wear this specialized back brace when he did jumps like this, but he forgot it that day. Okay. His girlfriend was there and was like, Kenny, shouldn't we have that back brace? He's like, back braces if it pushes. And he just did it anyway. So he didn't even have a special brace on. In his defense, the 15 other seconds wouldn't have mattered either, though. (laughs) I feel like the ramp was bumpy. It didn't, you know, all the safety checks, that probably didn't matter either. Right. I mean, you should have had somebody out there with a shovel smoothing, you know? (laughs) 
And so you know what I just said about the eight vertebrae being just yeah. pulverized? They pull him out of this car and they carry him to the ambulance like he just won the Super Bowl. He's sitting on their shoulders. Yeah. And when you find out later his injuries, and the whole time he's going, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> when they're carrying him to the to the ambulance like that. So For anyway. me, he's a jolly good fellow. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's no like Lay him on a gurney. Don't move the neck. And it's just like they they should pour Gatorade on him and put him up on their shoulders. Oh, man, that's crazy. <laughs> but it sounds like the late 70s. It really I does. I mean, it really does. We, we, need a full, we need a Marlboro Red right now and a yeah. lighter. Stat. And a Coors. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be fine. He'll walk it off. Yeah. <laughs> or he'll never walk again. We don't know for sure. <laughs> 70s were freaking awesome. I love it. Just freaking awesome. <laughs> Go ahead <laughs> Realizing that could very well have been him Ken Carter, by the way Ken the Carter guy <laughs> Resorted to slightly safer and more conventional jumps He had built his career on after that For a while Because as always, the old urge to go faster and farther Returned Not long after the failed stunt Ken granted an interview from the ramp itself That was still there And announced that he was going to come back And make the jump himself It had been his dream he had built the ramp, he had built the car, but he had never gotten to make the attempt on the jump. Of course, it's never that easy. The entire process of finding backers and building another car started all over again. Mm. Meanwhile, Ken kept on doing the only thing he knew how to do, jumping cars. At Cayuga Speedway in Ontario in 1982, Ken successfully completed a record-breaking 186-foot-long jump. The very next summer, during a stint performing weekly shows at Westgate Speedway near Peterborough, Ontario, Ken decided he wanted to use that venue to break his own record that he set the previous year. There was a large pond just off the raceway, and he intended to build another ramp and jump over it at a distance of 200 feet. He approached the track's owner, Art Robinson, with the idea, and Art agreed. Ken immediately got to planning and even moved into a trailer at the racetrack to be on site at all times. He also began promoting the jump hard, calling the local TV and radio stations and setting up interviews. He wheeled and dealed with the local car dealer and secured a Pontiac Firebird to use as the, for the stunt. There's your Firebird. There we go. <laughs> nice. And, and behind him was going to be an 18-wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> Full of illegal liquor. He'd haul it around with him everywhere he went to promote the jump. Like I said earlier, Ken was a fantastic hype man. He dramatically described the stunt and all the dangers associated with it, sounding almost like a 50s radio DJ. Mm. The following is from an interview with Czech's TV reporter, Trisha Hellingman. When they say zero, I'll hit that rocket car back on that ramp. Come down the 300-foot runway to the edge of this pond where it'll be a 12-foot high ramp, 60 feet long. I'll hit that ramp at 100 mile an hour. Climb to an altitude of approximately 45 feet in the air over the pond. Destination, target area, on the other side of the pond. And part of the hype was to emphasize the dangers in such a jump. We're dealing with water out here. We gotta have some frogmen out there. I gotta have oxygen in the car. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. If it was just ground, then it wouldn't be a problem. But that water is 200 feet across that pond out there. And I gotta clear it. And if I don't, it's 18 feet deep and murky. And you won't be able to find that car. After these messages, we'll be right back. Extra Extra, Dawn of Mantis now has a merch store. There are t-shirts, long and short sleeve, as well as hoodies. Just go to dawnofmantis.com and click the t-shirt link. Dawn of Mantis is brought to you by Redbeard Sound. Redbeard Sound provides music production, audio editing, and live sound engineering, and is where Dawn of Mantis records our podcast. You can find Sam's information on our website, dawnofmantis.com, or at redbeardsound.com. Ken also spoke with Czech sports director Gary Dalladay, and often he'd call three or four times a day to update Gary on the progress of the car and the ramp, and would even show up unannounced at the TV station with the car on a trailer. Finally, after an entire summer of planning, promotion, and preparation, Ken was ready to perform the stunt. On July 1st, 1983, Ken's crew, medical staff, rescue teams, and a crowd of 4,000 spectators gathered at Westgate Speedway as Ken was strapped into the Firebird. After a countdown, the jet engine blasted white smoke from the back of the Pontiac and it rocketed down the runway towards the ramp at the pond's edge. 
It was immediately apparent that something was wrong, though. The car began to fishtail back and forth and hit the ramp almost totally sideways. There's video of this, too. It was flung into the air in a half-barrel roll before splashing nose-first into the middle of the pond. Emergency and rescue crews leapt into action, making their way to the sinking car as quickly as possible. You see, despite all of his daredevil bravado, Ken could not swim. Everyone stared in horror as the Pontiac disappeared below the surface. The divers jumped from their boats and followed the car underwater. And for what seemed like forever, all that emerged from below the surface were a few bubbles. Then, finally, Ken popped above the surface with two of the divers. The crowd erupted into applause and cheers for Ken. He hadn't made it across the pond, but he had given the crowd a hell of a show. Yeah, I'd say. Just a few moments after making it to dry land, Ken asked for a microphone. He addressed the crowd and everyone there that day, saying the car had gotten away from him and took full responsibility for the crash. He also, without even asking the track's owner, Art Robinson, or anyone else, announced that he would be back to attempt the jump again a month later on Labor Day weekend. He ended by saying, I will get that car across this pond, I swear to you. Okay. So everybody was like, well, I guess we're doing this again in a month. Yeah. (laughs) He just did it on the spot. Wow. Over the next few weeks, the waterlogged Firebird was retrieved from the pond, cleaned up, and repaired for another jump. Ken, who had escaped the first jump without injury... Using the same car? Same damn car. (laughs) Could have checked the Carfax. This car's been been submerged. I bet there's a little Bondo in that fender. (laughs) I bet there is. You know, speaking of Bondo, I watch a lot of car restoration shows, and you know Bondo, the company, hates those. (laughs) Because that's the worst fear of any car builder. <laughs> like, oh, this whole this whole back quarter panel's Bondo. Then the other you know, guy's like, Shit. they say it by name. The what? I mean, isn't Bondo the brand name? Yeah, yeah. So you know, they're like, ah, oh, great. We can't be taken seriously anymore. <laughs> but luckily, there's so many people that restore cars wrongly. You know, that they're probably fine. You know, yeah. We're not getting a sponsorship from Bondo. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I know. No, you're right. But I mean, it's so many times. It's so many times. I was thinking that one day when I was watching one of the. That's a bummer because it's to, to like imagine the execs at Bondo. Anytime someone has discovered that a previous owner has used your product, they're like, oh, shit. No one's happy. It's like, oh, man, look at all the Bondo in this door. I mean, a car could look perfect. And they're like, we got to cut all that out. All that's Bondo. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, Bondo, but this is the way it is. <laughs> You're true. I never, you hadn't thought of it like that. So yeah, they pull the they pull the Firebird out, dry it up, obviously. So Ken escaped the first jump without injury. Uh, he was ready to go when the time was at hand again, which was September third, nineteen eighty three. But as usual, things didn't go as planned. First off, due to several crash delays, the races ran for much longer than usual that day. This created an issue with visibility. Not for Ken, but for the spectators and the camera crew. It was supposed to be daylight at the time of the jump, and the black car was almost impossible to see at night. A small crew quickly located some yellow paint and gave the car a sloppy 10-minute paint job to make it more visible. Okay. (laughs) There was also several issues fueling up the revamped Firebird. Larry Flickinger, a renowned rocket propulsion expert, was in charge of fueling up the car, but as always, Ken had the final say. At the last moment, Ken decided to add a little more extra fuel to the tank to make certain the car would have enough boost. Okay. I don't know if we were on air or not, but these cars, the the jet engine in this car, it didn't have a kill switch. So it ran as long as it had fuel. So they, they tried to calculate pretty closely... You know, there was always a certain point, like halfway up the ramp, it needs to burn out of fuel, you know? Yeah. And then we don't, mean, we don't want any more lift or thrust after that. And plus it's weight, you know, water weighs eight pounds a gallon. I don't know about fuel, but if some person figured it out, like what it needed to be, that's probably what it should have been. Yes. Instead of dead reckoning. But to the Carter guy's credit, I mean, he had jumped a lot of cars. So, I mean, you got some wisdom there, I guess. I guess. But he was wrong. (laughs) I'll just (laughs) tell you that right now. (laughs) Well, even if he was wrong, I mean... I will I will stand by that. I mean, it's like okay, well, but yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of on his dime. Uh, some of it, anyway. Yes. So and, yeah. and and he's the guy who's risking his ass in the car, you know. Yeah. So he had the final say. Yeah, I got you. Well, just after midnight, the countdown commenced, and Ken lit the rocket on the car. This time, it shot perfectly down the runway and off the ramp. However, when the Firebird went airborne, 
the rocket kept burning for several seconds longer than planned. The fuel was supposed to burn out pretty much as the car left the ramp, giving the vehicle enough time to slow and drop onto the ramp to the other side of the pond. Instead, the rocket kept burning and the car kept climbing and gaining speed for several seconds after leaving the ramp. People there later commented that it looked like the car was just going to keep on flying out of sight. And this is on video, too. And that's when he was like, why couldn't a man jump in the river right now? Oh, yeah. yeah he could have been, probably. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. But you need to land on that return ramp. Oh, yeah. Because you can't just land on the ground. Right. Well, I guess you can. I mean, you will. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> yeah. What goes up must come down. <laughs> well, it didn't keep flying, obviously. The much longer distance and higher altitude caused the vehicle to go into a flip nose first. So like Ooh. ass over nose. And by the time the car finally hit the ground far, far on the other side of the pond, it landed perfectly on its top upside down. Oh, that's not good. Like I said, this is all on video too. The roof was crushed all the way down to the door panels instantly. The rescue crew, along with most of the 4,000 spectators, rushed towards the smoking wreckage and flipped the car back over on its wheels. These were the days before the jaws of life, so a wrecker was used to hook onto the crumpled roof and pull it up and off of Ken. He was placed on an ambulance and rushed to the hospital. William Winslow, one of the rescue drivers who was on site, performed CPR on Ken from the moment he was pulled out of the car until he reached the hospital. In an interview I found, he said that once, for about 30 seconds, he detected a faint heartbeat while en route, but that was all. Ken Carter was pronounced dead on arrival when they reached the hospital. Mm. Man. Despite roll bars, you know, I mean, it's just too much force. Yeah. You know, it just crumpled it. And that, that's probably, they become your worst enemy, even though you installed them for safety. I would imagine that all that extra metal pushed down on them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And then those that same roll bar has now caged you in. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I, th- I think they used one wrecker to hold the car down and the other to pull the, the top up off of it. Yeah. Like I said, this is all in that, I don't know if it's in that documentary or there's a couple of small like films that cover this. And so this is all on, I mean, video of them pulling Ken out, putting him in the, it's all on film. I wonder if he was just thinking like, you know, the extra fuel, it's like whatever keeps me out of that water. I mean, that could have been a way more traumatic experience than anyone knows. Right. You know? That could have been the thing that, Wow crazy man and i wonder i mean that's the famous like what million dollar question i will say it's not fair if we get all somber right now because by this time last time a girl had been murdered by an axe and we were (laughs) were laughing our heads off so come on guys let's pep it up i know right that's not us come on this we got to find a funny angle and we got a great message from a listener that said I think they almost almost felt guilty, but what did she say? She said, like, I don't know how you took something so dark and twisty and, yeah, and yeah, made it something basically. that I was laughing my ass off about, yeah. something like that. Yeah, we pulled we pulled her down with us. We made her laugh at it, too. <laughs> so that's what we do. <laughs> we'll run you. That's what we'll do. So after the fact, those that were there that day and involved with Ken's final stunt all agreed that he had not been himself in the hours leading up to that jump. Instead of being fired up, loud, and, you know, just... The, oh, he was just, fired up, though. Well, he was fired up into the air. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Instead of being like this pumped-up Ken Carter that they were used to... No, I know. I, yeah. And he didn't have to change it. There's he videos, have... too. Like, he's walking around thumping his chest, like, woo! You know, ready yeah, to Yeah, yeah. But not this time. Okay. Everyone there said he was kind of, like, quiet, reserved, even a little nervous that day. Mm. He had even asked track owner Art Robinson to take care of a few things for him in case of his untimely demise, which he didn't usually do that either. Okay. Some believe he had decided he didn't want to do the stunt, but caved into the pressure of the waiting crowd and cameras. The Crown ruled death by misadventure, and Ken Carter's funeral was held in Oshawa, and he was buried in an unmarked grave near his family in the Notre Dame de Neige Cemetery in Montreal. At the time of his death, he was just 44 and one of the most well-known stuntmen in the world. But sadly, it seems his name has faded a bit since then. Ken himself claimed to be the greatest, saying once in an interview, I like Evil Knievel. I always said he was the second best stuntman in the world, right after me. Oh, wow. Well, you'd have to have that type of mentality, right, to even do any of that stuff. Yeah. But you know what? I kind of feel like if you would have interviewed him and 
Oh, like anyone kind of like that, you know, doing things like that. You'd probably say, you know, how do you think you're going to die? And they might even just admit it'll probably be in one of these stunts. Like, I feel like they probably know that. I feel yeah. like some of those people that do the free solo climbs probably know that as A- well. Alex Honnold came to my mind the moment you said that. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, I wonder if that guy is going to keep... Because I'm sorry, he's the greatest in the world, the greatest climber in the world. Well, actually, I would go out and say he's the greatest athlete in the world just because of, like, what other athlete could say, like, every time they do their sport, their life is literally on the line like that. Yes. You know, he doesn't really get... I mean, he says he says that he gets nervous, but um, anyway, what were you going to... Oh, I was just going to say, no matter how good you are, you can't ever guarantee... One of these days, one of those little holds might crack and split off mm-hmm. or a bird might fly out of a crack in the wall or like there's things that you can't control no matter how good you are and i just man i don't i don't know if he free solos as vigorously as he used to i hope not cuz i don't want him to die but a lot of those guys like you look up the greats of free soloing man a lot of them are dead yeah and yeah, uh, yeah i wonder if ken just knew it's amazing that evil Knievel never died in a stunt you know i mean that's he lived true. to be kind of an old man that's true but when i was doing this research i got to looking at a lot of other stunt drivers and boy there's a long list of them that have that died doing that yeah not a lot of them survived <laughs> yeah well you know we we laugh and joke but obviously you know tragedy um not so not a surprising tragedy but tragedy nonetheless yeah and i I urge everybody to what was it called? The Devil Beside Me, the the uh, I think that's what it was called. The documentary is a great documentary. On Earlier, you're just is right off the top of your head. Yeah, it was. It was the Devil at Your Heels. The Devil yeah. at Our Heels. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, what was it called? The Devil Inside Me. The Devil and Miss Jones. That was other movies <laughs> that came out in the 70s. The Devil at Your Heels. <laughs> the I Devil was, in High Heels. I was thinking of the Day Man and Nightman stuff. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but this whole episode is was because of that Australian band Ammonia and because they had that song Ken Carter. So I think it's only fitting that we close out the episode with that song. I want everyone to hear it. So, right? Is that what you want to do? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Okay, so this is Ammonia with their song Ken Carter. Thank you all for listening. Yes. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>